We have an injured rabbit also. Hello, you. Our ongoing crisis has forced investor relations teams to totally rethink how they deal with investor engagement. From proxy meetings to investor conferences, earnings calls to analyst days, to even non-deal and deal roadshows, many IROs are experimenting with telling their story in a virtual format. Now, IR is all about making connections. So, can we really make meaningful, genuine connections in a virtual world? Well, the answer is, apparently, yes. Anyone who's been on a Zoom call knows that some work. And some don't. So, what's the difference? My guest today says he knows. He says it involves the production of a, quote, human moment. Wayne Baker is faculty director of the Center for Positive Organizations at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. He's an expert in a lot of things, including social networks and what makes them work. He's put together a list of practical recommendations that you can use to design, manage, and run the sort of virtual meetings that make people just genuinely relate. And, Baker says, there's no more powerful tool, indeed necessary tool, for generating human moments than the video camera. The technology has been available to arrows for quite some time. Many just didn't take advantage of it. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. Get ready for the golden age of video IR. Is looking at you, kid. You know, maybe one thing to consider is what might have been a, a telephone conference call before ought to be um, done more in like a, a virtual webinar or um, Zoom format, I would think. And that would be analog to video on is that, I mean, if you could, you know, the psychology uh, research is really clear on this is that the more personalized you can make it, um, like even just seeing a, if you saw a still picture of someone who's talking, that's better than just hearing them talking. Better yet would be that you actually, it's live and you see their facial expressions and, you know, their mouths moving as they're talking and how they're gesturing and so forth, that that makes more of a personal connection. And then if it's, you know, true virtual, if it's true meetings that would have been done face-to-face around a table, but now we've been done remotely, then the video on is, you know, absolutely critical. Um, as I note, there are some exceptions where, you know, somebody's got bad connectivity or they're driving or something. Um, does it make sense? But it's, um, hmm. that seems to be a, make a big difference, that the more that you can see somebody personalizes the experience. Wayne, can, can we just back up for a minute? Sure. Can we talk about uh, human moments? Just, just to sort of set the stage here. In the Psychology Today story, you, you talk about the term a human moment, and you say it requires two ingredients, physical co-presence and focused attention. Um, point out the first ingredient isn't possible when we're socially distancing. But um, you do say it is possible under certain circumstances to create virtual human moments. 
Can you talk about that for a minute and, and how, how, how one can design run those? Yes, yeah, so the, um, it is possible to create what we call high-quality connections through these human moments that are co-presence um, plus focus attention, but it's also clear that you can create a high-quality connection um, when it's done virtually. I mean, it's possible to do it over the phone. It's better to do it when you could see people, at, like, in a, like in a Zoom call. You know, just like in face-to-face, if you know, if you and I were sitting in my office and I was, it looked like I was not really paying attention, and I kept glancing at my computer, mm. you know, or at my phone or things like that. That would not be a human moment, even though we have co-presence, because I'm not really focusing on you, and and our conversation. Um, so you think take that, reverse that, and put it in a virtual setting. You know, you don't. In a way, you do have co-presence. It's you know because you're seeing the person and it's live. It's not. We're not sitting physically in the same room, but we're sitting virtually in the same room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether I'm paying attention or not, or listening to you or not, it would be apparent in the virtual Zoom meeting uh, as well. Um, and so, you know, that's really the critical difference, whether it, we're creating high-quality connections, they can be done face-to-face or not. They can be done virtually or not. And a high-quality connection has a couple of characteristics to it, is that if it would be one in which... Uh, people would report some sort of, uh, you know, liking the other person or a sense of feeling engaged and listened to with the in the conversation. Uh, it would be a, a sense of mutuality and give and take, some sense of authenticity and uh, being genuine in the conversation. Um, and they would report a sense of energy that they felt, you know, buoyed up or a little bit energized by that interaction. Hmm. So you could have a high-quality connection face-to-face. You could have it virtually. And you could have the lack of one. You could have a low-quality connection face-to-face or virtually as well. You told me earlier that you'd been on a few uh, Zoom calls already today. Did you did you manage to produce or whoever was orchestrating them, did they produce a, a human moment? It's interesting. One was a uh, faculty meeting with 100 faculty in it all at once. And... Um, it was interesting. I would say less than half had their video on, huh. and the other half, you know, had a still picture or just their name. And uh, you know, it was interesting that um, you know I always have, unless I have some extenuating circumstances, you know, that something's going on and I just don't want to show myself. Um, you know, the uh, I always do. I try to practice that video on, and so. Yeah, I felt more connected to the speakers. Um, you know, the chat function was very helpful. That's one of my guidelines here in a large meeting like that. And also the, there's the private chatting that's going on, and I engage in some of that as well. But I do find that if I'm using the chat, you know, just to – because I could chat. I could post something to the entire faculty or uh, to a – I could single out someone and do a private one. I found that the more I was doing that, the less engaged I was in listening to the speaker. So I had to stop myself from doing that. Um, and really focus on the, um, you know, on the speaker, what the speaker was saying. I also found that um, when the speaker would respond to questions in the chat, that that felt like a human connection. Hmm. Um, when they would ignore them, uh, that felt like, could I ask a couple of questions? Some of my questions got answered, some of them didn't. And the ones that didn't, I felt less of a connection because it was like, it was sort of like talking and, and they're not hearing me. So if you are going to enable chat, 
yes. make sure that you use it <laughs> if, if, you're, if someone is, is speaking to you and you're moderating. Absolutely. In fact, what I've seen some people do, especially in a large class or a large group, is they'll, they'll have an assistant whose job is to monitor the chat. Hmm. And, you know, and to, you know, like to, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe through the phone, send a little text saying, hey, take a look at it. You know, they repeat the question or something like that, because it's really hard. If there's a really active chat going on and you're presenting to a large group, it's like um, it's I, it's really hard to keep track of that. So if you're in that situation, you'd want to have an assistant who would help you focusing just on the chat. Now is the winter of our discontent. Fair enough. So we talked about video and, and chat. Um, how else can we encourage people to um, to pay attention to the speaker and, and presumably yeah, so create, a, the, create a, a human moment? Yeah, so that I've been to some meetings where, Zoom meetings, that um, during this pandemic where, you know, the presenters were acted as if it was just normal. There, there was nothing unusual about this. There was nothing going on. There was no bad news hmm. uh, or no good news, nothing. And it just felt pretty disconnected. And so, you know, the, some of the, the CEOs I know have said, you know, that you got to, you don't have to like dwell on it, but just to acknowledge that it's, you know, whatever you want to say personally, what it means to you is like, you know, sometimes this could be a struggle or it's a scary time out there, or I'm wondering about kids going off to school and, or whatever, you know, and this would vary from person to person and circumstance to circumstance. But I think to at least, say something that acknowledges what people's lived experience is like that helps to make more of a, of a human connection. And that sort of dovetails with, with another guideline, guideline six, making it personal. It, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a, I mean, it's a no brainer if you, you, you know, you talk about yourself and your family and your dog or whatever, um, suddenly you've, you've got a personal connection. I'm, I'm not sure if, I, I don't know how much that is sort of applicable in an IR context. I, I, it's hard to, for me to imagine. I guess, I guess I could see a CEO in an IR getting on a call and, 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 you know, talking about how it's, you know, they're getting their kids off to school in the fall and stuff and, and establishing a connection that way. Yeah, I could say, like, I'm, I'm sure many of you are in the situation I just experienced today. Yeah. Right? And, you know, that little personal anecdote would make people feel connected and empathize, I think. Yeah, and you're right. I was thinking, too, like, sometimes these IR meetings are, like, you know, all business, all finance, it's like really pretty, you know, emotionless. But, you know, I don't, we can't disconnect from our emotions uh, for very long. And I think that, you know, finding some way of doing that, you know, some of the moments I've, I'm sure you've seen them, you know, that there's, there's a newscaster presenting the news and suddenly the study door opens and a little kid runs in or a cat <laughs> bounds or, or the cat runs across the, the desk or something it's like those are things we really remember, right? There, and it's thing in a positive way, and then it shows, yeah, that person is dealing with the same stuff that I'm dealing with. You know, is that I've got kids at home, or I've got pets, or you know, or suddenly you know, the lawn service is here and they're right outside my window right now, <laughs> or something. So the zeitgeist has changed. Um, Maybe a year ago, you didn't want your your kid and and, and your your wife perhaps to sort of be in the background of your your video interview. And now, I think I think it's kind of more accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree completely. And it's like uh, there was, um, you know, some of the early ones I was in that that worked really well and actually got me thinking about this whole thing. And then I kind of started diagnosing meetings that worked and that didn't work, and what were the differences. Um, is that one of the very first ones I was a participant? I wasn't facilitating. 
but it was actively facilitated. So that's one of the guidelines. The other is that the person said it was a small thing, maybe about 15 people. He disconnected his camera and from his computer and he kind of said, here's, here's my workspace. Here's where I am right now. You know? So if, if uh, we were doing video right now, you would see that I have a wall of bookcases. You know, I am a professor after all, so I've got thousands of books, you know, and there's the table and that kind of stuff, you know, seeing rather than pretending that we are in a work office or that we have a blank, there's, you know, blankness behind this, you know, I think it personalizing it just this, you know, that people go, yeah, I'm, you know, I mean, how many times have you been in one of these Zoom calls and you see that person's doing it in their bedroom, you know, and they, <laughs> they had to make sure they made their bed or they had, to, they had to change the orientation of their computer to not show, you know, the personal aspects of it. But that would, you know, you know, that would be a way, you know, if the person just said I'm broadcasting out of my study here and you might hear my dog barking and I apologize about that. I'm sure many of you uh, have had that happen to you or had a, you know, they had a child or somebody run through. My children are old and older and gone right now, but I do have pets, so, you know, it takes, what, 35, 45 seconds to say something like that, but that makes it a little bit more personal. Made glorious summer by this son of York. In the, the faculty meeting we had today, and this has been a practice of, we've been doing at both small and large meetings is to um, have a couple of people share um, positive news or a silver lining. Hmm. And, you know, and that actually starts the meeting off with a little injection of positive emotions, you know, and that, that helps. That helps when people feel positive emotions, they're more receptive to information and to learning. Um, they'll pay attention more. Now, sometimes... Well, what would be an example of that? I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful day here in the West Coast or something? Just something simple like that? <laughs> it could be, yeah, it could be that. It could be... So it could be the, the leader of the IR meeting could say, you know, I found it helpful to start, you know, start these meetings a little differently um, by sharing some some positive news and so or silver lining. And here's mine, and I'd like to share it with you. And it could offer other people to do it, although I would bet no one would. So if you wanted someone else to do it, you'd want to plant it in advance. You want to get somebody who would be willing to do that, you know, but that would, that would be a way of applying it. Uh, which also dovetails into another guideline uh, we touched on a moment ago, uh, active facilitation. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. IROs have to learn how to be MCs. Uh, in these calls, mm -hmm. uh, which is something they're they're pretty good already at, I think, quarterly conference calls, and and uh, but they have to um, they have to adapt that, I guess, to a video environment. Yeah, in a video environment, one thing we've found um, is that you've got to actively call on people. So you know, I might say I might set it up in advance by saying, "Jeff, is it okay in this if I were to call on you and get your reaction to something, so that they know they've given permission in advance or uh, sometimes, um, you know, to call on someone and say, you know, Jeff, what do you think about the numbers I just presented or something? Um, you know, we can do that in class because professors are kind of in charge of the whole thing. But what happens um, is that there's a model of, um, somebody talked about it today, uh, hub and spoke, mm -hmm. which is that when they started doing this is that all of the conversations were 
from a student to the professor and back, kind of a hub-and-spoke model, and they wanted to shift it to be that it would be the spokes talking to one another. And the way to do that would be that, you know, you say something and somebody named Bob had said something related, and I say, no, Jeff, that's related to what Bob had said. Bob, would you say a little bit more about that? Or I know that Bob's dealing with the same thing. Hmm. Um, there's also the possibility of using uh, breakout rooms where people in a smaller group could chat about maybe what was presented and then, um, you know, in, you know, in a small breakout but, and then share questions with the, with a larger group. That would be another, that actually be something that would work better that way than it would in the usual conference call. You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, the sound of global investor relations. How long do you expect this thing to last? I think we're with the pandemic uh, for much longer than anyone would hope for, and that the world we're in now is going to uh, persist for a long time, and that we need to be thinking uh, long-term. I think the strategy of hoping that things are going to be over soon um, and then our strategy is we just wait, wait it out and we can go back to the world we knew before, I think is not a winning strategy. Um, that I think uh, you got to think uh, we're in this for the long haul, so how can we adapt now um, so that we can thrive in this new world? And, and better not, don't be afraid to experiment, obviously, because you're going to have to. Yeah, I think, and in fact, now is the time, you know, people are more forgiving of experimenting now than they were before, uh, because, you know, everyone knows we're in a whole new world, and people are learning how to use these digital tools, mm. um, and I think, you know, people, I've noticed, for example, that, you know, people are not always, they're dressing more casually, or you see that people haven't gotten a haircut for a while, <laughs> or they're, or somebody's grown a beard. Uh, you know, the thing is, is that, and you know, and, and they're in their home environment, which looks a little bit more casual than the office. Uh, so I think people are more forgiving now and kind of in a learning mode themselves. So this is the time uh, to experiment. And that's your Ticker Podcast. My thanks to Wayne Baker. And thank you for listening. And if you've listened this far, well, there must have been some kind of connection, right? Could audio be our virtual future? Probably not. But I'd love to know what you think. Send me a voicemail. Until next time, I'm Jeff Pacific. I just want to tell you all how happy I am to be back in the studio making a picture again.